0: When I think of buying a house, I don't think of just the actual purchasing event. I think about what happens if interest rates increase or decrease after I buy the house. I think about how I can capitalize if the demand for housing drops, you know, like it did after COVID-19. I think about what happens if I suddenly lose my job or my partner loses her job. I think about unexpected expenses or changes to my life, like having a kid. I want to set up my life so that after I buy the house, I'm protected. And I'm going to show you guys how you can do. Now, before I, get, before I get on with this episode, a reminder that I have a Patreon page where you can read articles, you can download spreadsheets, you can get internet resources, you can see all the online calculators. I use all the tools at my disposal. Uh, you can watch tutorial videos and even chat with me. It's completely free to join uh, and to sign up. So the link is patreon.com forward slash jellyman underscore investing a disclaimer that i am not a financial advisor please consult with a professional before making any financial decisions on the episode building your 6 to 12 months or more of savings is absolutely crucial what i see a lot of people do is jump from paying off their debt to planning to buy a house you know and you're like you got to slow down there are a lot of steps in between that you can do because Going from, oh, I paid off my debt, now let's buy a house. That's a really big jump. And if you're already not a finance person, you're not someone who really knows how taxes work or how capital growth works or how to even assess a home, not even as an investment, but just understanding what you're buying and how the mortgage repayment. If you already don't know about how that stuff works, what I tend to see is people buy the house and then they just pay whatever they're told to pay. They don't know how to pay it off faster. They don't know how to manage their mortgage. They haven't accounted for changes in interest rates. They haven't accounted for changes in their lifestyle. And very quickly, within a matter of months or less, they're in financial stress. So we don't want to do it that way. We want to be able to buy a house, really enjoy the experience. And then especially if you have dependents, you have a partner, you have kids, you don't want to have to relocate a year later like a lot of people did you know, after COVID because- the interest rates that they said were not going to increase for several years. I mean, at the time it was like twenty twenty one, and they said, "Look, it's interest rates are at two percent, two and a bit." We don't think, and by we I mean the banks, you know, news brokers. They said it's not going to increase till twenty twenty five, and then you know, kind of eighteen months later, there were like thirteen or fourteen rate rises, and only now in twenty twenty four they're saying there may be a few. Dips in interest rate, but I mean, how much lower? It's not really going to drop back down to post-COVID levels. It just, you know, it's just not going to happen. So, what people didn't anticipate is that that could happen. So, buying a house or investing or anything you do when it comes to finance isn't about making a decision and then hoping for the best. That's not a strategy. You know, we want to have a very, very precise approach towards. How do we build this foundation? How do we make it that we're protected Um, True security? All right. So let's look at the steps towards buying a house in my eyes. This is what has worked for me. So the first step, obviously, after paying your debt, um, set up your automation uh, of your accounts for your everyday expenses. Now, you may still be in debt. But the automation will help you. And you know I've done episodes on this as well that talk about it. There's an entire collection on my Patreon that talks about how to get out of debt and different things you can do if you have multiple credit cards. Um, but the automation helps you build your savings. It actually creates a good track record for when you're about to buy a house. And it can also help you pay off your debts as well because you can automatically move money to pay off those debts faster. Now, This automation will take us to step two, which is to build your six to 12 months of emergency savings. Now, it's really easy to determine how much savings you need for any given month. Figure out just top five or top 10 things that you spend money on, and they're going to be very, very obvious. It's going to be like rent, gas and electricity, car, food, right? gym, maybe. But even if you cover just those first four right, and then add another 20% on top, that is probably roughly your monthly expenses. So say all of that is, I don't know, $4,000, and you want six months worth of savings, it's just four times six, you need 24 grand, that's it. Now, the key and kind of the main thing of having the 6 to 12 months of emergency savings, which I'll kind of talk about a little bit later, is that it just kind of gives you a little mental buffer as well as a real buffer should something happen. But we'll get into that later. Now, once you've reached your emergency savings, what you'll actually find is my approach is you save for a rainy day. You save for worst case scenario, but you don't just kind of sit there with it. The way you approach it is you save for a rainy day and once you've covered that, put it to the side, don't think about it because you know it's there. Then what you do is you start thinking about how can I get that money to grow safely, conservatively while nothing bad is happening. And when nothing's bad, nothing bad is happening, what a lot of, um, uh, let's call them financially illiterate people do, and we're already seeing this with dropping interest rates, um, potential dropping interest rates, is as soon as people start seeing the sun come up and things are starting to change and everything's really good instead of doing the responsible thing and kind of saving they start spending they start going crazy like oh times are good let's go on a holiday oh money is freed up let's get that fancy brand new car you know it's it's not the right you should be doing the opposite yeah um so once you've built up enough funds then you can start thinking about investing and i think investing in index funds is the proper way to go if you want more details on what that is we'll go into a little bit uh, later after that you want to meet with a broker okay now you have to find a good broker you can find it by asking your friends if they had good experiences it's usually like do it by referral don't just pick one because the real estate agent said they had a broker never (laughs) never say yes to that always find your own independent broker um ensure that they actually know what they're doing. They've got a good track record with people who've actually bought houses through them um, because they can do a whole bunch of stuff in terms of assessing your um, your finances, telling you to make certain adjustments that you need uh, to actually work towards a house. They'll work with you in terms of what are your long-term goals? How do you get there? How do we account for things that are going to change? Like, you know, maybe having kids or you want to travel overseas or whatever it might be, Okay. Now, once you get the numbers from your brokers, you want to evaluate those numbers just to be sure. Uh, Because the thing is, uh, sometimes brokers and banks, they're a little bit too optimistic uh, when it comes to assessing you. And they don't assess you for the absolute worst case scenario. That's the one you got to assess for. So we'll get into that. Now, once you have the number of what you need... You need to build an additional buffer for post-home purchase because one of the worst things that can ever happen, and I have heard this happen, is you buy a house, everything's all good, and then you lose your job. And then what? Because the banks don't care. If you lost your they don't care. If you're sick, they don't care. If you have cancer, they do not care. That's just how these things work. They want to get paid, right? So once you've done all that, Then you can buy a house. Now, it sounds like a long process and it definitely is much longer than simply, we have cash, let's go buy it. But I'm telling you now, this will relieve you of so much financial stress and actually set you up for success long term. That is the key. All right. So, now let's get into some of the things, some of those topics a little bit better. Now, in step two, talking about emergency savings, the reason we make sure we have a decent amount of savings is so that you're not mentally derailed. So it's sort of like when you go to the gym and you're working out and you're working out and you're not seeing any progress. You're like, ah, screw it. I'm just going to go McDonald's, right? Because I'm like, I've been dieting for a month. Nothing's happening. So that's why when you go to the gym, there's cheat days. You know, once a week, you just kind of let loose and then get back to it the next day. Having that buffer financially is similar. In that, if something happens, you, actually, you get a fine, uh, there's an unexpected expense, you cover it with your emergency and you move on. So, your mental energy should be towards progress, saving, investing, working towards that house. Now, the automation in step one automatically pushes your money towards your savings account. Now, what some people do is they create a whole new bank account with a completely different bank and then they transfer the money there. So, this account has no associated. You know, card itself, uh, and so it removes the temptation. What you also find is when you have these savings kind of sitting there, let's say five thousand dollars, you're not stressed day to day because you know that it's there. You know that it's like, oh yeah, I've got it covered. But there's nothing scarier when you got like nothing left, and you're just like on your toes just making sure. That I just hope I don't break anything. I hope I don't offend anyone, or hope I don't get a speeding ticket or something like that. Because then what? You know, so it's kind of like this mental backup as well that's going to help you. Now, let's add time to the equation. So what what tends to happen is when you've automated your accounts is that before you know it, you've built up savings. And it sort of works like when you come home and you empty the coins in your pocket in a jar and you do that every day. And what seems like, oh, what's a dollar here, a dollar there. And you look at it, you know, at the end of. A few months and you're like, man, there's like three or four hundred dollars in there. How did that happen? Right? That's how it works. It ha- when it happens in the background and you're not thinking about it, it just starts growing on its own. Yeah. And that's one of the uh great things about it. So once you've built up some savings and now you're starting to build some extra cash and you're like, oh, maybe we should work towards buying a house. I still don't suggest buying a house as your first investment because A house is a big drop of money. That's like suddenly I'm going to give, you know, a hundred grand to buy or build a house. And what happens is in this day and age in 2024, compared to what it was in pre 2000, pre 2000, I believe in the 80s around that time, took three years to save up for a house. These days in like Victoria, Sydney, uh, in New South Wales and that, it takes like 11 years, I think, in victoria and 16 years in sydney to save up for a house even if you cut those figures in half that's still a long time so a good strategy is if you invest in something like an index fund again check out the articles on patreon if you want to understand more about that if you invest in something like that while you save up for a house what can happen is say you park the money in an index fund instead of the bank um as you're saving up for a house after the five years say you've left it in there, or three years or four years, whatever, you could end up generating an additional $10,000, $15,000 in additional money you can use towards your house. Now, here's the kicker. If you end up going, well, it's still not the right time, let's not buy a house yet, let's put it off, or another COVID happens, and you're just kind of waiting it out. While you're waiting it out and waiting to pull the trigger, it's still growing in value. So you still win. The crappy thing is if you don't do that and you leave it in the bank, the bank's only going to give you like 1% return a year, which is like nothing. Whereas an index fund can give you anywhere from 7% to 11%, depending on um, kind of when you buy it, obviously. But in a down market, um, and you buy at the right time, it can give you as much as 15 you know, 20%. So it just kind of depends how you go about it. But that's one of the great things of having that investing stage um there and then if the time is really right you find the house that you really really like you can always liquidate the stock what happened with me is i did it that way and then for a while i stopped buying stock because i was like all right let me just kind of start putting money towards the side because i wanted to split up where my cash was and when i finally met with a kind of a broker and i said look i've been saving uh, i always i also invest and all that when he looked at it, he goes, actually, you have enough to buy a house. You don't have to sell your stock. So it's a, one of those win-win situations where kind of no matter what you do, you're winning in some way. Um, and that's kind of the goal when it comes to like wealth. You want to make it so that If the stock market's going up, you make money. If the stock market's going down, you're making money. If housing goes up, you're making money. If COVID happens, you know how to make money. If the global financial crisis happens, you know how to make money. And you're also protected at each of those stages. What happened with, for example, global financial crisis is, you know, there was like a boom leading up to it. People were going nuts uh, buying houses. The demand for houses was insane. So the prices were insane. And what do people do in those kinds of times when everyone is super happy? They borrow, borrow, borrow. They borrowed way too much. And when the GFC kicked into gear in 2008, it was all wiped out. So if you were part of the group that were super excited and just leveraged like crazy, borrowed like crazy, you would have lost it all. But if you're a financially literate investor that is conservative and you th- and you think towards the long term, what you would have realized is after a, a disaster like that, a global catastrophe like that, there was a, th- I believe, 30% market drop afterwards. And then a subsequent recovery after that with you know however many years after if you had cash on the side you could have you could have invested in some of the biggest most successful companies in the world at massive discounts uh to their selling price and if you did that you could have made who knows 30 40 50 on your money you know sometimes doubling possibly tripling in a lot of those cases but it's about having all this knowledge and experience before those things happen. So when times are good, those are the times to study and prepare for those things. And I'm telling you now, COVID, that happened recently. It's going to be something else in the next couple of years. You want to make sure that you're ready. You want to make sure that your house is protected as best as you can. You can never plan for everything. But if you think of finances and investing strategy this way, Instead of just going, well, let's buy buy a house and let's hope nothing ever happens to me, you know. I've had uh, someone once tell me, Or oh, just go ahead and buy a house; it'll all work out." That's not a strategy because if they say something like, "Like I did that, everything was fine," that's like, uh, and I think Neil deGrasse Tyson said this, you know. If you go to the ocean with a, gloss, with a glass, right, that you use for drinking, and you scoop up the water, and you conclude that the there's no whales in the ocean. That's basically what they're saying. They go, oh, no, I did it. It's fine. That's not a strategy. We want to think very strategically about what happens if, or oh, what do I do if that happens? What do I do if that happens? What do I do if interest rates go up? What do I do if they go down? How can I capitalize? That's real security. Thinking about, well, if I lose my job, I only have a single stream of income. Now what? Okay. Solve these problems while they're not problems don't want to try and solve these when they actually happen because there's nothing worse than, and I've, I'm telling you, I've seen this so many times. Someone goes, Jed, I just lost my job. I need to get a job fast because my rent just came in. I need to give money to my whatever. I need to pay for this for my kid. I don't know what to do. I've got like one month's worth of um money to pay for all this. And then what's interesting is you go, well, how much equity do you have? And they go, I've got heaps. I've got like a million dollars in equity. It's like, yeah, but you can't afford your day-to-day living expenses. So, you know, equity rich, cash poor doesn't work. You want to think strategically about all the different things that could possibly happen, put a plan in in place. If it happens, you're covered. If it doesn't happen, you can still capitalize on opportunities because the money is sitting there. Thanks again for listening in. I'll catch you on the next episode.